John and his wife, Lisa, are native Texans and met in Lubbock, Texas in the Adventures and Missions program at the Sunset International Bible Institute, where they trained to do mission work in Edinburgh, Scotland. A year after returning to Texas, John and Lisa married, and John began working with the AIM program as a recruiter. John is a graduate of the Sunset International Biblical Institute, and then later earned a Master's of Science in Ministry from Lubbock Christian University. John and Lisa have been married for 41 years and have two sons and five grandchildren. Brother Wheeler. Thank you. It's always weird to hear. Uh, it was Sunset School of Preaching when I went there. <laughs> it's been a little while. Uh, thank you so much, uh, first of all, for inviting me to be, to be here, and uh, Lisa's with me here. But more than that, I want to thank you so much for the support and help that you've given to Crossway. Uh, I don't know if you noticed but, or know, but you guys donated a printer, a copier printer to us. Uh, really good. We needed that at the time. All we had was a desktop trying to do bulletins off of it and, uh, and a bunch of chairs. And um, we really need them. And we've since donated them off uh, to, uh, I think, the Van Olstein Church of Christ up there. So your gift uh, is, is continuing to give. And I want to invite you to... Uh, not trying to take, I don't know where Wes is, I saw him a while ago, but I'm not trying to steal anybody, but I want to send you an invitation to come visit Crossway at any time you want. We, uh, on Easter, we had to go to two services uh, to, to accommodate the growth and also to anticipate future growth, so 8.15 and uh, 10.45, so you can work your schedule. I always tell people, come to Crossway for the singing. If, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been there, we, we don't have a building quite like this. Uh, we have our own kind of cathedral. It is a barn, uh, literally. Uh, it was built as an event center, but it's, it's a barn. And it has concrete floor. It has air conditioning, very, very loud. It has bathrooms. And so it's, it's all, we're all good to go. But concrete floor, um, uh, rough sawn uh, cedar uh, timber about this high up, corrugated metal all the way up and open rafters makes for absolutely fantastic acoustics. Uh, and we have some very gifted song leaders, so uh, I just I always tell people, come for the singing, stay for the preaching, it might be whatever it is. Um, so you're, you are invited, and we'd love to have you uh, experience Crossway, and, uh, and, and please keep us in your prayers, uh, particularly three things. One, we are still looking for land, it's a, it's a tough deal out there, but we're looking for land where we can have a permanent place, uh, and we're also in the process, or uh, beginning the process of uh, searching and appointing uh, elders, which is our hope that sometime in the first quarter of next year we can appoint elders uh, at Crossway. So keep those two things in prayer, but above all, keep the mission of Crossway. You know, building and elders and minister, we're all tools so that the mission gets done. And the mission, of course, is to, um, to build up God's church there and to reach the lost with the gospel, and that is our goal. When Wes invited me uh, to speak here and uh, told me the theme was encouragement, it didn't take me very long to, for my mind to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 17 to 20, has one phrase in there, so that, he's talking about, so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. That is something that is so needed by, by all of us, that we have... We, we need uh, to hold fast the hope, and we need encouragement to do that. But I like this expression, we who have fled for refuge. This is a group of people who have fled something to come to Christ for refuge. But the problem is that the book of Hebrews was written to discouraged 
believers. Now, it's not written to discouraged believers. It's written to discouraged believers. Here's a group of people that are really struggling with their faith. And I don't know all the details, but if you go through the book of Hebrews, you, you see this encouragement or these statements that, you know, they're drifting away. And, and it may be because these are primarily Jewish Christians. And, and when they left Judaism to become Christians, they, some were experiencing some persecution. Others were experiencing uh, maybe a milder form, but it's being ostracized from their family. They're cut off from the historic and, and dramatic tradition of Jewish temple worship that, that was no longer part of their lives. Uh, some of them may just be, um, uh, you know, disfellowshipped and, and, or just some of the normal things of life, the trials and, and struggles that we all face. But for whatever reason, maybe all of those are some of them, they were beginning to lose their hope, their grip on the hope that they found in Jesus. And they were drifting away and going back to, to Judaism, maybe. And I, maybe you can imagine what it would be like to be part of this historic, dramatic, and uh, uh, you know, kind of religious experience where you've got the temple, you've got the priests, you've got the sacrifices, and all the smells and sounds. When you came to that, it was just this is like being overwhelmed with all of your senses. And then you leave that because you hear the gospel of Jesus, and then you come over and you're meeting in somebody's living room or somebody's courtyard. And there's no pomp, there's no ceremony, there's no history as we would understand it. And it might be hard to hold on to that conviction. And I think 2,000 years later, we may not have the exact same kind of experience, but we have the exact same kind of problem. We are faced with all kinds of life circumstances that make us want to quit. And so I think this question we have to ask what discourages believers today? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it is persecution. I don't know that very many of us in this room probably are experiencing any kind of real persecution in any significant way. But maybe it's ostrac being ostracized. Maybe it's being disfellowshipped by groups and people from here and there that we're not a part of their crowd anymore. More than likely, it's probably just the trials, the, the difficulties of life. Sometimes it's the trials and difficulties that happen within the local church, disunity and, and griping and grumbling. From COVID on, we've a lot of people have experienced a kind of an isolation and loneliness that is something that Satan wants to use to discourage you and, and kind of diminish your uh, intentionality and commitment to follow Christ. Maybe it's just boredom. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be the hard things in life. Satan likes to attack us with trials. Satan sometimes attacks us with success, right? Everything's going great for me in life, and that's maybe due to Satan, knowing that that's the thing. Because for some people, we get, we get pressed, and we get in some kind of trial, and all of a sudden, we come alive with commitment to God through that. And that's not going to be a good strategy for him. So other people, he gives them success, and all of a sudden, we start forgetting God. Or it might just be this mediocre boredom of life. Not much is really going on in the church where I am. Not much is really going on in my life. And I just get up in the morning. And I have my, my, my routine, my day-to-day. -day, and day-to-day, -day, I'm just, I'm kind of like the Laodicean church. I'm not hot anymore. I'm not cold. I'm just routined out of my grip on the hope that God has promised me. 
Whatever it is, the book of Hebrews is written so that these discouraged believers who are, for one way or the other, either getting ready to just quit or they're going to go off into sin or wherever it is, he is designed to, to kind of reignite their faith. And that's what we need whenever we're discouraged. So he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I got to forget, I got to advance this too. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, now this, this passage sadly has been used by some of us in the past kind of as, a, as a, an attendance drive. You need to be at church and we've used it as to beat people with attendance and that's not the Hebrew writer's intent at all. The, the actually, actually, attendance is, again, sort of incidental to the purpose that happens when we come together in meeting. We are a group of people who need to be encouraged. And there's a lot of things that can encourage us. Uh, but coming together is so powerfully important. I'm actually doing a series uh, at uh, Crossway right now. We're in the middle of it. It's called Some Assembly Required. And kind of coming at it from the idea of, of, of how would we explain what we do on Sunday mornings and why we do what we do on Sunday morning and why we need to do what we do on Sunday morning to someone who's not churched. Because they're going to look at us, going, get up early in the morning, going to church on a Sunday when we could just be sitting around or going to youth soccer or going to whatever it is that, we, that they want to do. They would look at us and go, what's the point of all of that? And the point is, is that God has invited us together because we need to be together for the purpose of encouraging because God knows how easy it is for us to get discouraged. And we can have some of the most amazing life experience. I mean, think for a second, 1 Kings chapter 18, chapter 19, um, uh, Elijah the prophet, you know, he has that great uh, debate, if you will, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And he says, you guys call your God, I'll call mine. We'll build an altar and we'll put wood on it. We'll put a, an animal sacrifice, but let's let the God who really is God ignite that sacrifice. And so we know how that all goes, right? Well, at the end of the day, when, when Jezebel hears about it, he, Elijah runs off into the wilderness. Chapter 19, we find him discouraged to the point where he is saying to God, just let me die. And that's an amazing thing. He just had this fantastic experience with the, the overwhelming power of God on display. And, and just a couple of days later, he's like, I'm done, God. I find that crazy because surely if I had seen what Elijah had seen, if I'd been a part of that, that would fuel me for the rest of my life. I would be on top of commitment level, uh, not, not for Elijah. And so God, God helps him out with some great heat. I love the fact, that fact that he says, take a nap. Not in those exact words, but you're tired. Take a nap, lay down and get some rest. Have some water. I'll send you in some food. And that's a very spiritual thing to do, to help us sometimes. We need that when we need, are discouraged. Maybe a little bit of rest, maybe some nourishment, and that's going to help. And then he gives them a, a bit more. We can all have those kinds of experiences where we are struggling. But the question I want us to look at tonight is, how do we put courage in one another? We come together uh, in an assembly like this, Wednesday night or Sunday morning, whenever it is, God brings us together and for the purpose of encouraging, which means to put courage in. I need something that is going to help me to endure the onslaught of what life throws at me every single day because out there we're all struggling. We live in a world that is not necessarily conducive and encouraging to us in our Christian faith and, and other life things are going on, all of that stuff, and we get beaten up and bloody and we come back here so that we can be encouraged. 
And there's lots of ways we can do that, but I want to talk about just one of them tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is one of the passages on the assembly in the New Testament, says, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay, we've probably seen this verse before. Real quickly, there's two kinds of communication happening in the church in Corinth when they come together on assembly. Some people are speaking in tongues, some people are prophesying. Prophesying is simply speaking forth the Word of God. A lot of times we think prophecy is predicting the future. Sometimes that may be true, but sometimes it's revealing the past. You know, Moses was a prophet, and a big chunk of what Moses wrote in the Pentateuch is the book of Genesis. Everything that happened prior to his life, that's still prophecy. It's speaking forth God's message to the people. Tongue speaking is a miraculous ability to speak another language. And if nobody's there who can understand it, the only people who know is the person speaking it and God. Now, in the church in Corinth, we know if you've ever been, to the book, uh, been through the book of 1 Corinthians, you know here's a church with all kinds of struggles, moral, doctrinal, uh, unity, personality, all, they're, they're a mess. But anytime I have to talk about Corinth, I always want to remind people, please read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Because it would be tempting for us to just dismiss Corinth and say, oh man, I would never want to be a part of a church like that. Until you read those first nine verses and you find out that they really are God's people. And they have been saved by God. They have been gifted by God. They have everything they need from God. They are a great church with big problems. Not unlike some of our churches today. But there in their assemblies, they were having this confusing mess going on. And Paul says, listen, I want you to understand something. The purpose of your coming together is not to display the spectacular. Because it seemed like for the, for the Corinthians, speaking in tongues was a big deal. That was the, the favored gift, if you will. And if you were speaking in tongues, you mean you were, you were getting some prestige. You're getting, if they had Twitter back then or Facebook or whatever, you'd be getting a lot of likes. Because it's spectacular, it's dramatic, it's like, wow, it, it draws the spotlight. Whereas prophecy may not be quite so spectacular. But what Paul says is, I want prophecy. He'll say uh, in the next verse, he'll say, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And isn't that exactly what we need? I need to be built up in my faith. Why? Because the world is out there beating me down in my faith. I need some encouragement because they're, if I listen to the world and, and I tune into them, they are trying to put fear in me rather than courage in me. And I need some consolation. I don't think consolation in terms of uh, you didn't win the grand prize, so you get the consolation prize, right? That's, that's not what that is. This is not to be pacified either. To be consoled is, means that our fears and our anxieties and our troubles are eased. They are erased. They're negated in, in, in when we come together in the assembly and hear, hear the prophetic word of God. I always think of, uh, when I think of this consolation, I always think of, of David being called in, King David, uh, young King David being called in to play his, his lyre to Saul, who was tormented by this evil spirit. And if you ever notice that when, when that happens, Saul feels better. He is consoled in that moment, right? And then what happens a little bit later, he's agitated again. He's tormented again. 
David's plane was really good, but it didn't fix the problem. So that the kind of consolation that we're talking about here is one that really fixes the problem that we tune in. And what is it that fixes that problem? The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. One more verse, and then we'll make the point here. When you come together, everyone has a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. There's a lot of ways that we can be encouraged, like we saw in Elijah. Get some rest. Get some good nourishment. Get some help. Connect with people who can encourage you. That's one of the things that God tells him. But I want us to think specifically that we can put courage in one another by getting into God's Word. And that's the main thing. I'm not, there's other things, but if we're not in God's Word, we're going to find it very, very difficult to live our life with any kind of vitality, any kind of strength, any kind of solid witness to the world that we belong to God and God is worth belonging to. We're going to get beat up. We need to be in God's Word rather than, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but, but I know a lot of people who spend a lot of time listening to the news of this world, whether it's uh, you know, on, on television, whether it's online, or whether it's on the radio. And I don't care which, whether it's you know, CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whoever your favorite conservative is, it doesn't matter. It, so many of us spend more hours per day listening to what the world is trying to tell us than we spend probably in minutes per day in God's Word. And it's no wonder then that so many even believers are struggling with their faith. They're full of fear and full of anxiety because that's exactly what the purpose of the news is. I want to break it to you. I'm not an expert in this, but I'm pretty certain I'm correct. The intention of the news, whether it's internet, television, or radio, is not to inform you. It is to inflame you with fear and anxiety. Their number one product is a return customer. All they want is for you to tune in again, because that's where they get their revenue from. And we do it. We listen to the radio, and we listen to the uh, news, and we get online, and we hear the world's messages, and we're worried. Even if, it's, even if we're listening to the people that we like who are saying, this is what we need to do, what's behind that lesson is, if we don't do this, then the people that we don't like are going to do what they do that's going to make our life miserable. And that's on both sides. We have listened to too much of the world's messaging, and we get so wrapped up in the mess of this world... What we need to do, if we want some strength back into our lives, we need to step back and step back into God's Word. I'm amazed and sometimes a little uh, encouraged, uh, rather dis discouraged, when I, I hear from, um, from believers and, and even some prominent ministers out in this world who... Um, who it sounds to me, maybe I'm, I'm hearing it with, with a little bit of bias, but it sounds almost like we're, okay, I was just thinking about the clock here. They're, they're, I'm going to ignore it anyway, so I don't know why this came into my mind. Um, uh, that, that, you know, early Christian, make a statement like this, early Christians didn't have the Bible. And then they just kind of leave it like that. It's like, well, wait, what, what are you trying to say? Now, if you mean they didn't have leather-bound 66 books with gold gilding on the edges, uh, whatever that is, on the ends. Yeah, you're right. They didn't have in that form. But, the, but God's Word has always been with His people from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, it's God's Word that forms God's people into God's people. And we need to come back to that. 
Uh, going back to Hebrews chapter uh, 17, 18, the full passage is this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get you guys up to speed here. Um, when he desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The Hebrew writer is trying to remind us, listen, God's promises are solid. How can we trust what God said? It's a weird thing because he said so. Right now, if I said that, how can, if somebody asked me, how can you trust me? And I said, because I said it, you might go, yeah, okay, that's sort of circular reasoning. How can we trust that what you say is what you say? It's different with God because of who God is. Uh, there's two things uh, when, uh, in this passage. The certainty of his promise is built on the certainty of his person. How can we trust God? Because of who God is. And, and Paul, uh, not Paul, the, it might have been Paul, the, whoever the Hebrew writer is, is he is saying to us, we need to listen to what God has said. And based on what he has said, we can have absolute confidence. We can have certainty for the hope that we put in. Which of God's promises have never come to pass? Other than the ones we're still out there yet in the future. I like in, in the times of Joshua, when, when uh, uh, Joshua and, and the children of Israel come into the land of promise and, and uh, they, they take over the thing, it is said that not one of God's promises failed. Everything that God has ever said is going to happen, is going to happen. And again, that comes back to his word. If you're struggling, if you're discouraged... What we need to do, because the temptation is, let us, let us latch on to something that is spectacular. Let us latch on to something that's dramatic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to the, to the Corinthians here and says, I want you to remind you about the people who came out of the land of slavery. And they all passed through the Red Sea. They all passed through the cloud. They all drank from the spiritual rock that was Christ. They had, I mean, and again, just like Elijah, if you and I had experienced those things, if we saw the Red Sea part and we walked through, right, and then saw it crash in against the army of Pharaoh, and if we went out into the wilderness and we saw Moses speak to the rock and water flowed from it and, and watered us, or manna came out of heaven, we saw all of that, we would be forever faithful, right? We would never dis be discouraged. We would never grumble and complain about... Oh, man, do you remember the leeks they, we used to eat in Egypt? That's one of those craziest statements in Scripture to me. I don't know what, I don't think I like leeks. I'm not sure I've ever had a leek, but I'm sure that that's just like, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't long for the good old days because what's connected to the good old days? That they totally forgot. We were slaves. Yeah, all the food was free, but we were slaves. But if we saw the dramatic stuff, I would never get discouraged, right? But Paul wants to remind the Corinthians and he reminds us that those people grumbled and complained and they all died in the wilderness. Why? Not for lack of drama and spectacular and miraculous power of God in their lives, but for lack of obeying what God had said. What God had said got pushed away and they thought maybe something else and, and it never was something else. And I think that's an issue for us today that we're still tempted into the spectacular. 
I heard a saying, uh, I was about quite a few years ago, but it has to do, uh, you know, as being a leader in the church, and the saying is, the saying is this, what you win people with is what you won people to. And so churches today and Christians today, we're, we're, we're always sometimes trying to think of the, the most spectacular thing. How can we really do this thing up grand with a lot of bells and whistles? And, and, and a lot of churches do. But are they winning people to the hope that is put before us? Or are we simply winning people to, to the drama, to the spectacular? I'm, telling, I'm, I'm convinced that the drama and the spectacular is not going to see me through the difficulties of life, the times when I get discouraged, when the times that things don't go wrong, don't go well in my life. I need something that's going to hold me more. If we back up just a second in, in Hebrews chapter six, uh, he begins this little section. He, he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Three words, having patiently waited. Twenty-five years from the time God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, to the time little Isaac was born. Twenty-five years. I don't know if I want to wait 25 minutes sometimes for the promises of God to be fulfilled in my life. We need a little patience but trust in what God has said. That baby came because God said it was going to come. And Abraham believed God and acted on his word. There was no other evidence but his word. And if we want to find strength, then we need that. Now, let me say real quick here. The point of getting into God's word is not so that we can know God's word. The point of getting into God's Word is so that we can know God. And, and, I, and, and maybe behind some of the statements some are making, you know, well, the early church didn't have God's Word in the same way. Maybe it's because there's a lot of people who can get so expertise in the Word of God and yet be so empty in the person of God in their lives that we've seen that abuse and we're, we want to guard against it. And I'm all fair in, in that. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. But, but the abuse of a truth doesn't negate the truth. You, you can abuse God's word, and, and surely there were plenty of people. You know, Jesus said in John chapter, um, I think it's John chapter 6. Or, well, I got it up here somewhere. John chapter 5. To the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness of me, but you haven't come to me. I mean, if, the, if, we, if we don't have a better example, it would be them. It's that here's a group of people that were so devoted to Scripture, so committed to Scripture, so calling everybody else to be faithful to Scripture, and yet they totally missed it. So the goal of, of being in God's Word is not so that you can know God's Word, but so that God's Word through Jesus Christ can transform you. Because the flip of that can't happen. You cannot know God without being in His Word. His Word is what... Um, uh, it, let's see. His Word is what it will tell us. So Christ is the thing. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to glory. It's all about Christ. So Paul will tell Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Why? 
Because listening to God is where we find strength. He had told him earlier, Timothy, from your childhood up, you've known the scriptures that have made you wise unto salvation. Timothy was taught the scriptures from an early age by his mother and grandmother. And that gave him wisdom towards salvation. Um, and that's John 5 there. You search the scriptures. Not so that we can know them, but so that we can know him. And there's a huge difference. But I can't know God. I mean, I can know a tiny bit about God. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, and, and that's an amazing thing. And, you know, it was said, Lisa and I lived in, in Colorado for 13 years. And every day I'd get up and, and I'd drive to work. And there's an, a flyover from getting on 225 onto I-25. And you get this great view of the, just the front range of the mountains from beyond your peripheral vision, both directions. And when there was snow on the mountains, it was just like, I mean, amazing. Every, I never get tired of that scene. And then last week, Lisa and I got to go up to uh, the Canadian Rockies, our our oldest son was on sabbatical up there in, in Banff National Park. At least I was kidding me because I kept saying Braniff National Park. And it's like, that, that airline hadn't even existed in ages. And, and I thought, as we were going to go up there, I thought, oh, it's, it's going to be more Rockies. And we get up there and it's like, oh, my goodness. If you've never been to the Canadian Rockies, it is amazingly spectacular. There wasn't a scenery anywhere that was like, oh, well, that's pretty good. I mean, you can know the, the power and majesty of God, but you know what you can't know? from nature, what you can't know from just relationships, you can't know that here's a God who knows that you are a sinner dead in your sins, a rebel, and yet you, he sent his son Jesus to become just like every other human being to go to the cross. There is no lakeside, no beautiful stream, no blue bonnet field, no mountain majesty that can tell you that Jesus loves you and died for you. Only in scripture. There's no, no, no cathedral of creation that can tell you anything about your hope of heaven. Only scripture. There's no life experience out there that can tell you that if you just hold on, if you just hang on, if you don't let go with God's strength giving you the ability to hold on, it's going to be worth it. Only God's word. And so we need to get back to God's Word. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped. We need to be in God's Word if we want to be completely equipped to withstand the onslaught. In chapter 4, he says, I charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. I love going to sunset and, and every chapel when I was there and, and every sermon, you know, somebody gets up and everybody says, preach the word, not preach the latest trends, not preach the cultural norms, not preach the uh, psychological boost that, you know, the, the, coming together is not a, a, a pep rally. You remember those in high school? You know, before the game, what the assembly is, is the practice to get in the game. We love the pep rallies. But I need to be equipped effectively to get in the game and live powerfully for him. I like what John, 1 John, John writes in 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's written 
Our God is a God who put it in writing. He intends for us to read it so that it will transform us and give us the hope. You have eternal life. Why would you quit now? John 20, 30 and 31, I love this as well. Now, John, now Jesus did many other signs that are uh, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's written so you can know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, you can have life in his name. Are you discouraged? Are you feeling like it's not worth it? Like it's too much? There's a lot of things we can do. Get, get with somebody, yes, but get into God's word. Listen to his promises. Listen to his love for you. Listen to his, his rebuke of your sin. Yeah, we need that. When Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit, the Helper, he's going to do several things, and one of those is he's going to convict the world of sin. We need to hear that conviction. I know it's not pleasant. A lot of times when we come to church, people say, I want to feel the Spirit. Yes, we do. Unless it's that convicting Spirit. <laughs> and they're like, no, that's not the Spirit I want to feel. I don't want to feel God's conviction of my life. I want God to tell me everything's okay. I want to come back in God's Word. Your, your personal intuition, your heart isn't going to be good enough. God's Word will. All right, why not one minute? So let's do three verses real quick. Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You know and I know, Satan is going to throw everything he can at you and me to discourage us, to distract us, to defeat us, to get us to quit, to get us to say... It's not worth it. I look at what happens in the church and people don't get along. It's not worth it. I look at what happens on the news and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's not worth it. Jesus says it's worth it. Your house can stand if you just listen to what I say and do what I say. You're going to be okay. You're going to be better than okay. The psalmist writes this. Psalms 1, blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff driven uh, by the wind. You want your feet planted firmly? Open up God's word. I just don't understand how people can, can have the view, I can be faithful and vibrant in my Christian life and not be in the Word. Or, or maybe I'm just a, a red-letter Christian. Well, you need to listen. Okay, fair enough. But listen to the red letters. Have you noticed how many times Jesus says, have you not read does not the Scripture say? I mean, even Jesus in His ministry is astounded at, at the religious leaders who are trying to, to be faithful to God and they can't even grasp. This. They're either not in the Scriptures, they're not grasping them, they're just so tradition-bound. The word of encouragement is the Word of God. One of my favorite passages in all Scriptures, John chapter 6. Uh, at least it is today. Okay. 
John 6 is a tough chapter. Jesus says some really hard things to the people, and a lot of them, they're, they're leaving. He turns to his disciples, and he says, are you going to go away too? And I love Peter. He's, he's, he's a doofus at times, but this one, he's rock solid, speaks for the group, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? When you're discouraged, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the evening news? Go to God's Word. Listen to Him. Put it into practice. And you'll find strength for life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us uh, Your truth and it is there for all. We can open it. We can read it. We can understand it. And you empower us to do it. But Father, our problem is we get so enamored by the spectacular or we're confused by the noise of this world. Help us, Father, to turn that off and to tune in to you, to your wisdom, to your truth, to your message that says your son Jesus paid the price and, and the peace that he offers is worth holding on to. Your word tells us in this world we'll have tribulation. We've never been promised that everything's going to be perfect. We're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer. You have overcome. Father, help us to hear that promise from your word and believe it. And hold fast to the hope that we have. That your forgiveness is ours today. And your promise for our future eternity with you is secure because of who you are. You do not lie. Help us to be strengthened, encouraged, and emboldened with that truth. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.